Uh, tonight, it's um, uh, my privilege to continue uh, through the book of Peter, our series through First Peter. We're calling Sojourners, Living as We Long for Home, Living as We Long for Home. And Peter says we're elect exiles. This world is not our home, but we have to live as we long for home. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, verses two, uh, 3 through 9, born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. Let's pray together before we get started. Father, I ask for supernatural grace now. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts tonight to believe, trust, and obey, God, all that you have spoken. I pray, Lord, that you would help us like the wise men tonight, rejoice with exceedingly great joy in who you are and in what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us tonight feel how securely we as your children are held by you as those who have been born again to a living hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And um, we are going to talk about hope, what you believe. Um, uh, one of my favorite apologists uh, named Ravi Zacharias, uh, he talks about worldview issues a lot. And he says there's four components to a worldview. Um, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And they're... they're they're all four are deeply connected. They're intertwined. What you believe about one necessarily affects what you believe about the others. Where you believe how we got here and where we came from, where we derive ultimate meaning from, how we derive our morality or what we say is right and wrong, and where we will end up when we die. All those things deeply affect your life and how you think about your life and how you live your life. And hope, for example, deals with that last one, destiny. What you believe is your destiny is going to massively affect how you think and how you live. If you think that we're just cosmic accidents, that we came out of nothing and that we're going to nothing, and that when we die we just cease to exist in the meaningless universe, that one day we'll know and remember nothing, that's hopeless. <laughs> No hope. And why should we have any hope? But if you believe and know that this world is not all that there is, that there is a God before whom we shall have to give an account, but that through his Son we can have forgiveness of our sins, that we can stand righteous in him, that we can stand before him not afraid, but free children of God, and that there is a hope that as a child of God that is so secure that nothing in this world, no circumstance, no matter how difficult or terrifying or painful, can take away. Well, that changes everything. Because you have hope. And tonight, that's what we want to talk about, is how we've been born again to a living hope. We're going to see this from First Peter 
chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God may be seated. We're going to see three truths with respect to our living hope tonight. Number one, we've been born again to a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope. Number two, we are secure in a living hope. We are secure in a living hope. And three, we are rejoicing in a living hope. Rejoicing in a living hope. So first, number one, we see we have been born again to a living hope. Verse three, Peter begins his letter here after this introduction saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins his letter by blessing God, by rejoicing in God, by exulting in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for what he has done through his Son, Jesus Christ. And he clearly blesses God in his, this letter because he wants the, these elect exiles that he's writing to and us to do the same. He wants us to bless God along with him for what God has done for us. And just as a side note, we talked about this in our our men's meeting the other night. That the best way to stir others to worship of God is not by guilt or shame. Because you can't guilt people into loving and adoring God. You don't guilt people into being amazed at the Grand Canyon. You just say, look! Look, the best way to stir others to worship is to simply ourselves live a a life of white hot worship to God. It's as if, consider if if you're walking down a busy sidewalk and you see somebody and and everyone's walking, walking down the sidewalk, but then you see somebody and he's just standing right there dead stopped in the middle of the sidewalk and he's looking at the sky. And as you're walking by, you're like, and the next thing you know, what do you find yourself doing? (laughs) What in the world is he looking at? You want other people to look up? Here's all you have to do. Look up. Look up with your life. Be like Peter who just blessed God and he wants other people to say, bless God. 
and he ble- and he gets other people to bless God by doing what? By outlining the greatness of who God is. And all he's saying is, look, look at God. If we want to kindle other people's flames for Christ, then we have to burn white hot for him ourselves. And why does Peter bless and extol the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? This is what he says. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He blesses God because God, according to his great mercy, his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Mercy describes, uh, describes not giving what is deserved. It describes not giving what is deserved. If God, see mercy, <laughs> by definition, right? Because I just said mercy means it's not giving what something deserves. It is not giving, if you will, the, the wrath or the punishment that some kind of guilt or crime deserves, right? So, defini- so mercy, by definition, if you will, isn't fair. Because it's not giving what is deserved. And because every human being without exception needs mercy, what that means is that the fundamental position of sinful human being is that we deserve wrath. We deserve justice for our rebellion against God Almighty. We are born in sin, the Bible says, born with a wicked bent towards sin and self and away from God. And away from adoringly and lovingly bowing our hearts and surrender to him. We, if you think about it, every person, we're just tiny, little infinitesimal before God. Wet specks of dust who have the audacity to say to God Almighty that he can't tell us what to do. You know, it's just a popular refrain today. And you just, I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere. It's, it's just, again, as we talk about, it's human nature. That's why every, you don't have to... You don't have to teach a child to disobey. They just, they just know how to do it. We're born with a bent to think that even God can't tell us what to do. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, get this, we all once lived. Everybody. And how, are we, how, how do we live? How do we live if we're dead in our sins? He tells us, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. How do we live as, as those who are dead in their sins? He says, In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What does a person dead in their sin look like? They're doing whatever they want to do. That's what they look like. Whatever they want to do. That's what a person dead in their sins looks like. 
And such a person, we all without exception, like just in that situation apart from Christ. He says, we're by nature children of wrath. That means it's what we deserved. But what happened? Why is Peter blessing God in this situation? What happened to us in our estate when we were dead in our trespasses and sins? Peter tells us what happened. God's mercy happened. That's what happened. While we were running headlong for hell, doing what was ever right in our own eyes, God stepped in, Peter said, and caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, the Bible, we're born, we're born physically in our bodies, but when we're born physically, we, we're, we're physically alive in some sense, but we're spiritually dead. And what we need then, what we need then is not a new religion. What we need then is new birth. You see, we're born spiritually dead. So what we need is we need a new birth. We're brought into physical existence by physical birth. We need to be re-brought, reborn into, into spiritual life by spiritual birth. Spiritual resurrection. We need a new nature. Complete and utter internal renewal so that we are changed from the inside out. We need to be reborn with a new spiritual nature. Can anyone tonight testify that God has made them new? That they've been made new by the power of God? I can testify to that. I believe that. When... I mean, I didn't, I didn't, when I was first saved, I certainly didn't grasp all of this at first. But as I grew in my knowledge of the Lord, and as I, and as I started reading the Bible and really studying about the Bible and really started thinking about the Bible, and, I, and as I started to, to look back over my life, I just, I just, I realized it's like, that, it's God at work in me. It's not Chad. It's not, it's not me. It's God at work in me. I was born again to a living hope. And guess what? I bless God that that happened. We can bless God, like Peter said, that we've been born again to a living hope. And what is this, what is this hope that Peter is talking about, and how does it relate to being born again? You see, in biblical language, of course, being born again means that we are, are children of God, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just part of this whole package, right? When you are born... Physically, you are born into a physical family. When you are reborn spiritually by God, you are born into God's family. You see, you receive a new family. You belong to God. And when you are born into a physical family, then you become an heir of that family's wealth. You it belongs to you, if you will. Why? Because you're part of the family. Well, guess what? When you are reborn into the family of Almighty God, you now become an heir of the world, of the cosmos, of the heavens and earth. Why? Because God owns it all. And it all belongs to you because you belong to God. Heirs of the world, heirs of everything 
The eternal riches of God belong to us because we are his. That's what it means to be born again, children of God, heirs of the kingdom. And, and he says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ physically, bodily rose from the dead. In his physical, bodily nature, he was crucified and he died. His bodily functions ceased and he was placed in the tomb. Then on the third day, his bodily, physical functions began to function again in a new glorified body. And he, in a physical body, rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples. So on that first Easter morning some 1990 years ago, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our King, rose from the dead in a glorified body. And he's been living ever since. Our hope is Jesus Christ, and our hope is alive. It's a living hope. It's a living hope. Our hope is alive, and our hope is life. Through spiritual rebirth and forgiveness of sins, that means now in Christ we shall not ultimately die. We live, we live spiritually as believers in Christ. We live spiritually now in dying bodies. But that won't always be the case. Because God, just as he has made our spirits alive in Christ, one day too he will make our bodies indestructibly alive in Christ. Just as Christ in his body can never die. That's our destiny. It is our inheritance. And Peter says that in verse 4, it says, And this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's secure. It cannot be taken away. It's guaranteed. There's no ifs about it if you are in Jesus Christ. In John 14, 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, if we are part of God's family, we have an inheritance, and God's going to make sure we get it. That's how it works. Jesus went to go and prepare a place for us. And this, there's this image of this room. Again, it's a, what is it? It's a familiar image. We're part of God's family. We have a room. You know, if, 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 if you have a room in somebody's house, what does that mean? That means you're part of the family. Jesus says, you have a room in God's house, and I'm going to go prepare it for you. And I'm going to make sure that you get there. And you see, the inheritance, by the way, that's Old Testament language. It's used over and over in the book of Joshua because the inheritance that God was going to give Israel was the land of Israel. And each, each, uh, each tribe in Israel had their own portion, their own allotment, their own inheritance. And as we talked about in the book of Ruth, for example, there was all these rules pertaining about redemption and about, and about the, the year of the Jubilee where all debts had to be um, uh, forgiven and then people had to go back to the land of their inheritance. There was all these rules concerning inheritance. Why? Because the inheritance was given by God so it was to belong to that tribe forever. Because it was God's gift and it couldn't be taken away. But Peter says, no, this is something greater than that. 
Because our inheritance is not real estate in Palestine. It is infinitely better. It is imperishable. When the Bible says this world will be burnt up. It is undefiled. Israel continuously defiled the land with their idolatry, but the land that we shall live in with our God will be pure forever. It is unfading. The glory of the world in which we shall live with God will only grow brighter as eternity presses on. Bless God, we've been born again to a living hope. So number one, we've been born again to living hope. Number two, we are secure in a living hope. We are secure in a living hope. We see this in verses, uh, into verse four through verse seven. It says, um, we have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have a living hope. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive, and Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. And we have this hope, this real, full, deep, completely satisfying hope of eternal life as reborn children of the Most High God. And since He controls everything, He will guarantee that His children will have their inheritance. And we will reign with Him forever. And that brings us to the next part, is that as recipients of our new birth, we are utterly, utterly secure in this inheritance. There is no if in the equation. We are secure, Peter says, because God is guarding us in it. That's what, that's what he says there, right there in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You got, we can't miss what Peter's saying here. He's trying to shore up these believers who are suffering Believers in every generation will suffer. And so what Peter is doing is he's trying to help them see that, as Paul did in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate them from the love of God. That they are held so securely, they're in the God's grasp, that no one can take us out of his hand. And, and so he's saying he wants them to take heart and comfort in this unbelievable reality that God will keep us. And God will hold us, and he is guarding us for himself. Why? Because there's all kinds of enemies against us. The, the world, the flesh, the devil, are all enemies trying to take our inheritance. And I can go ahead and tell you, they're too formidable for us if God was not holding us. And how... The, the word here says he is guarding us. We are being guarded. We are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The, the word guarded there is a passive participle. Passive meaning we are the recipients of the action, right? We are not the ones doing the guarding. We are the ones being guarded. Who's doing the guarding? God. 
God is guarding us. He's the actor. We are guarded by God. And how is God guarding us? This is astounding. By God's power, we are guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be, uh, be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? What does it mean? We're guarded through faith. How does that work? Because think about it. God is the actor. That's clear. He's the one guarding us. But it says he is guarding us through faith. And you say, wait a second, Pastor. How is God guarding us through faith? Because I thought faith was something we did. How could God be guarding us through faith when we're the ones who are to be doing the believing? But I think that's the point, isn't it? That God is not so distant that he lives, leaves us to ourselves. Because if we, if left to ourselves, right, we would happily go onward in our sin and unbelief straight to hell. Before, before, before I knew Christ, I, was, I liked my sin. I was fine with it. I didn't need any Christian telling me to get my life straight. I knew what I was doing. I knew. But see, we, we need... He's not so distant that he, li- he leaves us to ourselves. If we could even somehow muster up the measure of faith, a measure of faith, that faith that is just merely human would certainly, would certainly melt and disintegrate under the weight of the pressures of life that we face. <laughs> we're, just, we're just too weak for that. That's why, that's why I believe in the Bible, as we talked about last time, the doctrine of election and, do, and the doctrine of perseverance are so important because I know that in my own heart that if God didn't choose me, I would have never chosen him. And I know in my own heart that if I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation. There's no doubt in my mind. If I could lose it, I would lose it. I'm not strong enough. What do I need? I need God. I mean, what kind of encouragement... Peter is trying to strengthen these believers in their suffering. And what greater encouragement could you possibly give them than to say with all the force of heaven, God's going to hold you fast. He's going to hold you fast. Supernaturally guarded through faith, right? And we know this this has to be true, right? For example, if God wasn't able to ultimately uphold our faith, why would Jesus pray to the Father in Luke chapter 22 concerning Peter, saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Why would Jesus pray to God for Peter's faith to not fail? Because Jesus believed that God could make sure that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. That's why. If we we die a Christian, it's because God held us to the end. Bless God that he holds us to the end. Peter's faith didn't fail even though Satan himself was sifting him like wheat. Because God guarded us through faith. I can't imagine. Peter's the one who wrote this letter. Could you imagine what that meant to him? Can you imagine what it meant to him that Jesus told him that he was praying that his faith would not fail? And now what is Peter doing for these believers who are suffering for Christ's sake? 
He's saying, God is going to guard you. That your faith may not fail. Guarding us through faith. And why is this so important to Peter and to us? It's so important because Peter says it will be necessary for us to be grieved by various trials. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And notice, notice the word there. Necessary. 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 What does it mean? It means there are times when it is what? Necessary for the Christian to suffer. You see that? It's not an accident. Suffering is something we endure when God, in his wisdom, deems it necessary for his people to endure it. It's not accidental to the Christian life. Suffering is necessary at times. And we don't always know the reasons why, but that's, it is. We know a few of the reasons why. It may, at times, it makes us like Christ. At times, what it does is it shows the beauty and the value and the glory and the worth of God when we as his children are willing to joyfully endure suffering for the glory of his name. And when people look at you and ask, how can you, how can you rejoice in the midst of such suffering? How can you have such hope? When humanly speaking, you shouldn't have any hope. And then you can testify to the living hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And bring glory to your God. So yes, at times it is necessary to suffer. Because every time that we suffer, we have an opportunity to glorify God. Do you know that? Every time you ever endure anything, you have an opportunity to glorify God. You have an opportunity to say in the way that you endure that suffering that I trust my Savior more than I trust my circumstances. That I would trust my Savior more than my comfort, more than my ease, more than my health, more than my life. And Peter here urges us onward in our suffering with the hope of reward that we'll receive in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that we suffer, get this, is to increase our reward on the last day. Remember uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed, blessed are you. When you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Yes rejoice and leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward. In heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. We endure trial. Because a, a reward. A glory comes with it. Suffering as it were. Peter says it tests our faith. In the sense. In the sense of proving our faith, right? A test proves, if you studied, <laughs> a test proves something. If I tell you I can bench press 300 pounds, you would rightly say, prove it. <laughs> and then in this fantasy world of which I speak, I go to the bench press and I knock out 10 reps. My strength at that moment has been tested and proven real. 
hypothetically. <laughs> and not only that, but as the result of pumping 10 reps of 300, I've actually grown stronger in the process of what? Of holding up the weight. So it is with our faith. Trial proves our faith. It tests our faith. But God upholds us through faith, through the midst of trial. And as a result, our faith becomes stronger. It becomes purer. Like gold in the crucible. And we shall come out on the other side of our trials by God's power, shining like pure gold in the kingdom of the sun. Our joy will be greater then because we suffered now. We'll be purer, stronger in our faith for him. And when he returns in flaming glory with the heavenly host to gather his people and judge his enemies, we shall receive, the Bible says, the divine commendation. Well done good and faithful servant. And he will adorn us with his own glory and appoint us thrones, the Bible says, according to our sufferings and our service to him. And we shall reign with him forever and ever. It's a living hope. And we're secure in it. And it can't be taken away. And if you really believe that, it'll change you. Because, look, this life is short. Famous missionary, I believe, was C.T. Studd, said, One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we have a choice every day, whether we'll live for a world that won't last or whether we'll live to store treasure in a world that lasts forever. Apostle Paul put it this way. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we've been born again to a living hope. We are secure in a living hope. And number three, we are Rejoicing in a living hope. Rejoicing in a living hope. Verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter here gets at the heart of this faith that we hold in Jesus Christ which is the result of new birth and which is guarded by God himself. What does this faith look like? It looks like this, loving him whom you haven't seen. Don't you, don't you love him? Don't you love him? Don't you love Jesus? We haven't seen him, but we love him. We don't see him with our physical eyes, not yet. 
But we see him through eyes of faith. We see him in the Holy Scriptures. We see him in the Gospels. We see him in the Apostles' teaching. We see him in the course of our lives as he guides and directs our paths. We see him as he lavishes grace upon grace in our lives. We see him as he changes who we are, changes our desires, changes our loves, changes our affections, changes how we see and think and live in the world. We see him not with eyes of, uh, well, with physical eyes, but with eyes of faith. We see him by faith and not by sight. And we love him. And that love will not be in vain. Because we have a sure inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, ready to be revealed on the last day. And because of this, Peter says, we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see that? I didn't plan this. What did we talk about this morning? The Magi. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Unbelievable. And now Peter is talking about what? He's talking about us. That when we think about how we've been caused by God to be born again to a living hope, that nothing in this world can take away. And we see that hope with faith. And even though we can't see our Christ, we love him. And we know that he will reveal our salvation to us on the last day. He says we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When's the last time you rejoiced with joy that was inexpressible and filled with glory? You see, it's right there in the text. You say, you know, that, Pastor, we, who feels joy like that? We're not supposed to, you know, that, that's pie in the sky, super, super religiosity. No, it's not. It's right there in the text. We're supposed to feel joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's not supposed to be some kind of just for super Christians. It's supposed to be for everyone who's been born again to a living hope. I'm not blowing smoke here. As surely as you see me standing before you today, so together we shall see the Lord descend from heaven, bringing heaven down to earth. And if we believe that, we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If you've never felt that kind of joy before, here's an exercise. Go home, get alone, open your Bible to this passage, get on your knees, and beg God to help you see and feel the weight of the glory of the things that Peter is talking about here. And then read this passage and read it over and over and think about it and mull on it and think about how it is yours in Christ Jesus and it is sure and it is guaranteed and that nothing can take away. And think about it and dwell on it and focus it until you're filled with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If we seek it, God will give it to us. He will give us that grace to feel as we ought to feel about the truths that he has given to us. Christians should be the most rejoicing people on the universe. 
there should be no such thing as a grumpy Christian. I'm dead serious. Aggravates the mess out of me. To see someone who proclaims Jesus Christ and they're grumpy. Ridiculous. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Because we have a hope that not even the greatest pain and sorrow and loss this world can take away. The hope of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace and by God's strength, we will obtain the outcome of our faith. The salvation of our souls. If you don't have the hope that I'm talking about tonight, the Bible says very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Call on him while he is near. Believe on him. Feel the weight of the glory of the things that Peter is talking about. Long for them as your own and cry out to God for grace, for mercy, for light, for sight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the hope that we have been born again.